0: G'day, Phil here again. I had the opportunity last time to talk to Michael A. Pope, who's just given an absolute masterclass on the connection between people in education. He talked about how you live your life through your students, how you teach who you are, how you have to lead by example. So many things that can help us to pause and reflect on who we are and whose we are. Today, I want to talk with Michael about our place and our world. I'm really excited, so let's go. Hey, Michael, thanks for joining me again.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Sir,
0: so you were very upfront in your discussion about your life, about your commitment to the environment and your commitment to our planet. Why is that?
1: Um, because um, by nature, I, I mean, I, I'm a science student. Um, I was pre-med. But uh, I got a degree in science. My my focus is middle school science, but especially geology. And I've been very fortunate over the years um, of teaching science um, to have done quite a few fellowships and and grants uh, um, um, around stewardship, conservation, as well as looking at how to address global talk about global warming, or to allow students to um, how to to direct students and how to make a change, or or to Figure out how to make a change in their community to help the environment. So I've been very fortunate with that. So I feel very passionate because I see that it, the students really want to to do it. They want to really want to get involved. And if you give students a voice in this kind of activity, you'd be amazed at what some of the things that they would do. They, they're interested in doing. So it makes it it makes it easier for me to do these things when you have students who are like, Hey, yeah, let's 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 do this. Let's change the environment. Let's let's make it better for us. Let's make it better for my for my for my kids in the future. So. I feed upon I feed upon their their energy.
0: So I want to I want to just tease apart stewardship with you. Talk mm-hmm. to me about it because it's a word that gets used. It gets bandied around a lot. What are the elements of stewardship? How would we know if we are educating a student whether they've ended up becoming a person with the potential to be a good steward?
1: Oh, that's I never thought of it that way. Um, but uh, what I what how I would would, would define that would be. As you go through the introduction, of course, because you have to start introduction, because kids have to understand what the requirements are. What what is the outcome going to be? Um, If you have a student who is willing to put in the time to make a change in their environment, to be the change that they want to see, to put forth the legwork uh, initially, and then who continue to do that after the experience with you has ended, that is a steward. A kid who does it in the classroom with you one time, um, maybe again, is an is a, is a apprentice steward, I would say, but a kid who grabs onto that and realizes that, hey, this is something I want to continue to do because I see the importance of it, and they continue to do it beyond that experience with you, that is what I consider to be a steward. So stewardship is a, it's more of an introduction, we teach more of an introduction to stewardship because it has, to be, it has to be replicated throughout the years in education for the kids to grasp onto it, to make it who they are as people. If I do it in an eighth grade class, but the kids never see it again until maybe college, then that kid is, is, is an apprentice student, I would say. If they do it in my grade and then again, and then again, that kid has built up a track record and a personal connection to that learning. At that point, we have bred a student. We have actually successfully bred a student and stewardship is is present in our school.
0: So let me pick that up for a moment. Mm -hmm. We talk about that notion of character apprenticeship and I mentioned it briefly in our last conversation. Mm -hmm. If we look at the notion of a character apprenticeship, it's about the development of expertise Mm. and we have to learn that expertise. I'm gonna come back to the nature of that expertise in a moment. Um, But there's knowledge and there's skills and there's disposition, there's learning habits, there's competencies. That sit yes. within that expertise. A student can't be compelled to choose the expert. They will choose who they will go to. And at some point, there must be transfer of the power of knowledge from the expert to the novice. So the novice has got to go off in their own right and become mm-hmm. an expert in their own right. Yes. To do that, they then have to take on other novices so my colleagues at auckland grammar school in um, in the great nation of new zealand they would talk about this as learn do teach that you don't complete mm. the process until you have taught it to other people in turn now what are some of the ways in which we can help our students to teach others constructively about this stewardship that you're talking about
1: very good. So what we normally do is um, we have um, different clubs at our school. We do we do this. We start the introduction in the classroom, of course, by exposing kids to ways that they can um, get involved in conservation, or get involved in, in uh, basic basically conservation and um, and clean up. And then from there, uh, we have clubs which which we form um, after school, which allows kids to get together with other like-minded students. And what we did before before the this COVID situation kicked in, we would do outreach with, with the with the elementary schools where we would take where years ago we would take the students that I would have. And we would go to the elementary school and those kids would empower the younger the younger kids. So yeah, I, I think because things have changed because of the way things the way things are set up right now, we would actually conduct an outreach where the kids would actually go, like you said, with the learn and they'd go and teach the younger kids, what they need
0: to do. There will be only a handful of students who can do a Greta Thunberg and have a global in, yes. impact around what they do. But there is the yes. potential for every student to have a local is, impact. Yeah. Using, using the Michael A. Pope GLP model, you know, it's, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. every student's got a capacity to do that. I but we, so. as teachers, we need to scaffold that, don't we? We need to structure it. Yes, forth. we do, very much so.
1: Yeah, because even though we know it exists, a lot of kids are in different comfort zones. And some kids are gonna go, they're gonna be very gung ho and they're gonna wanna go out there and change the world. Some kids are, they're, they're, they're glad being on the back on riding the tail, the tail coat and helping out as they can. But we cannot discount that everyone has has a part to play in the bigger picture. And I think that's where the GLP model comes in, giving kids a chance to to find find where they fit in. And then for those who wanna go and gung ho, give them the opportunity to go out there and, and make, that, make that change. For those who are afraid of, who, who, who don't have the comfort of going out there and making direct change, they can slowly build up to it because stewardship is something that we all can do in some capacity. Um, but again, like I said, we have to we have to find ways to to empower, we have to find ways to encourage, and we have to find ways to to educate the next generation and, and allow the students to do that. As you say, the, the teachers are really there as facilitators, we're there to get it started, but we have to allow the students, and I try as much as possible to give ownership to the students. Because if I'm gone tomorrow, if they've started this process and they understand the expectation, they can carry on without me. They don't need me. But if I'm, all, but if I'm the one who's always, you know, like I said, the transfer of knowledge, I'm always holding the knowledge to my chest. If you have to come to me or you cannot get the knowledge. Then I'm not allowing the students to take it and to share it and to broaden out the branches of the tree or the roots of the tree so that we can bring more people into the, the fold and move forward with the projects, or with additional projects that they think are important. So the transfer is very important. Yeah,
0: I really love that idea that you have respect for where a student's comfort zone is, and where mm-hmm. their where their where their credible stretch is. You know, this is our Vygotsky zone, proximal development stuff for all of those um, for all of those theory nerds out there like me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's really, really important because kids kids start from different spaces. And they move at different paces, as well too. I used to think about this in in terms of uh, of school leaders. Um, most of my teaching was done in a senior school environment or an upper school environment, and you know we'd, we'd be we, every year we'd choose groups of boys and girls to be leaders. And what became clear over time that there were some students who could exercise influence over a whole school community, and then there were some who could exercise it within the group. And then there are some who could just exercise within their friendship groups. And and each one of them has a value. And that value is no more important or less important than another because we need people who are good friends. We need people who are good colleagues. And we need people who can lead throughout a community. And We, 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 we used to end up saying that every student can lead by example. And that's your personal level, isn't it? So, so you can, as a steward, you can ex- exhibit that personal level. I love talking about models, Michael, because part of the challenge that we have with teachers and school leaders as well, too, is that we don't think of the model that we're doing. So we never know if we're doing a good job. We don't have a model. Can't you, you, you yes, can't yes. you can't evaluate yourself against it when you reflect. So all you know we 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 just end up like Boxer from Animal Farm we just try harder and harder and harder and one day they put us in a van and take us to the glue factory and we're done. And that's a terrible terrible way to be. I think it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a big reason why a lot of teachers become disengaged and, de- and demotivated mm-hmm. because they don't know how to evaluate um their own work. Anyway, I'll get off my own hobby horse around that. I want to come back and talk about place with you because it's it's so It's such an interesting thing. We talked about that expertise which is transferred in terms of stewardship. One of the key elements in that expertise is it must be adaptive, so Mm -hmm. constantly changing all the time. If I look at your life, you are a person who has is changing all the time. You have (laughs) travelled all over the place, so you, you know you've gone to Svalbard in. In a Norwegian archipelago in the Arctic Ocean to study climate change. You've gone to South Africa to look at how you put global education into classrooms. You started teaching in the States. You're in Yokohama now. Have you always found it important to mix up and to change your physical environment?
1: No, no. Um, actually, you know, many people are people are, are creatures of habit, and then I think what happens is eventually you. Um, you get inspired by someone or something. And I think my inspiration came from when I was in early high school. Um, I, I hate to say this, but I I you know many, many of us are influenced by uh, a girl, you especially as guys influenced by a girl. So I met this young lady and we were studying French together and we talked about, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great to live in another country? And I was like, yeah, that was I never thought about that. So and from there, I that kind of planted the seed. So we 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 are many people are used to just staying where they are. But after getting that that seed planted, and then I was very fortunate. I went to George State University, which is an international university, and I was a, a visa leader a visiting international student leader. So I played on a football team of. Everyone was from another country except for me. I was only American on this team. So I was around, I started getting in, involved with more people from different countries. And they would tell me these stories about where they're from and things they'd experienced. I said, wow. So I think that many times we talk about changing our environment. It, it's based upon, did you have some experience or someone who, who encouraged you to think beyond yourself, to think beyond the moment, think beyond the experience? And I was very fortunate that I had that. I had many people telling me, oh, you know, you would love it in my country. And uh, you'd love it. If you'd ever come to my country, you'd love it here. I said, wow, maybe I should go there. And that was at 18, 19 years old. So after high school, 18, 19 years old, I had all these people around me, international people, which, and then, you know, when I went back to back forth to New York, it's like international city. You, you get, you, you become more interested. And so I think that is one of the biggest things, and and going back to do I change my my physical environment? I think that has a lot to do with my ideology of being a lifelong learner, to always keep trying to find ways of learning. And so if you are always looking for ways to to grab more information or to learn more, just the joy of learning, you're going to change your environment. You're going to change not only your environment, you're going to change who you are as a person. So you want to see these things. you want to. So I was like, wow. Um, I can live abroad, let's do it. I can see other things in other countries. let's do it. I could bring now then I, then it became can I bring this to my classroom? let's do it. Can I share this with my students students let's do it. So I think that it goes back to to a girl it was a girl it was a girl and she inspired me to think beyond just the moment and I was lucky enough that I grasped onto that and made it part of who I am.
0: So you made that conscious decision in there yes. When did you first realize that you had that level of commitment to a community that extended beyond your immediate environment to the world? Because, you know, I look at you and you you are a model of a global citizen. You really, really are. And you you teach this sort of stuff. What I'm interested is in how you came to understand this, how you came to realize this, how you came to act on this.
1: And that in itself is an interesting story. So, in two, um, I was teaching at a teaching science at a prep school, and I met this, this guy who had been teaching, who had been living abroad. And he was like, hey, you know, you should probably consider going abroad. And I'm thinking, oh, I've thought about it. And so I applied for Fulbright, Fulbright scholarship. And I came with Fulbright, um, Fulbright Memorial Fund scholarship, which no longer exists. And I came as a teacher ambassador to the United, for, for the United States to Japan. And that was in 2001. So I came to Japan as teacher ambassador, and we, we toured the country. And at that moment, at that moment, after seeing another country, being immersed in the culture, seeing everything that it had to offer, I knew that I had to get out there. And then I found out that I had the opportunity to go teach with in a community which was still American, somewhat, mostly American. With some expats and some other nationals and other nationalities there, and connect them to the community as well. So it started in 2001 when I came to Japan as a teacher ambassador, and from there, I was able to find opportunities. I started researching what could I do, how can I, how can I go, how can I take this on the road, take the post show on the road, I guess, and connect. And that was a real, real, the real beginning of of, of my connection to teaching abroad. Um, teaching abroad itself has many challenges. Um, the first challenge is that you're being with the DoDEA, the, the Department of Defense Schools, you're living in a kind of a microcosm of the United States abroad. But of course, I don't live there, I live in the community. So I, I actually live in the Japanese community, so I'm able to experience that. But that I go to work and I deal with American kids, American American people, and Japanese people as well on the base. But then again, you deal with the fact that at any moment, if you go once you go down the street, you can you can you can experience almost any culture in in, in a different in a different country, and that in itself is enlightening to me, but to my students, I said you get a chance to do something that most people in the United States probably can never do. You can go to a festival by the by this embassy and ex- experience Indian Indian culture. Uh, Ethiopian culture, um, Venezuelan culture. So I think being not too far from Tokyo and the embassies allows us also that. So I know it's a kind of a long, long answer to to the question, but I think the biggest part is like, when when did this all begin? It all began um, when I came came to Japan. Japan opened my mind and opened my my eyes to the world abroad.
0: So this wasn't necessarily a thing that came to you straight away, is it? It's it's a thing you almost yeah. fall into, and and then out of that, there's some sort of like shaping. yeah, there's some yeah. sort of shaping. So so, which I, which I think is really really important because life is that thing that happens to you while you're waiting for something else to happen, isn't it? You know, you've, you've, or as my grandmother would have said, she would have said, "Men stracht on Godlacht," you know, men 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 work and God laughs. You know, it's it's that it's that <laughs> idea that um uh, that as you go through the process of Mm -hmm. being in a place that place itself changes you you. and if you can reflect on it long enough then you can develop a sense of purpose that arises from that which comes out of where you are how do we help kids young adults old adults how do we how do we help people in education to understand that it's okay to go into something and be just a little wooly to start with, or a little open-eyed, mm-hmm. or just open-minded to start with. And that it's all a process and that out of that process, clarity can arise.
1: I think um, the best way to, to kind of think about that is I like this quote from Olivia Butler that she says, um, she says that all that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. And then she says that God has changed. But I would say to people who are who are in this position, it's like you are change, or be the change that you want to be, you want to see. So, not being afraid of change. Change um, itself is a natural part of life, and embracing change and finding ways to continue to be a lifelong learner i think i think many times we get close-minded and close ourselves off and say well I've, I've done everything i don't need to experience anything else i've done this i'm good and remembering that life um like you said before life happens even when you're waiting and not and, and not being complacent being a lifelong learner and remembering that you can always learn something you can always be better at something you can always do something to improve yourself or improve your situation, but you have to be willing to take the chance on yourself.
0: Be the chance you want to see. What does that mean? What does it look like?
1: If you do not like the way things are going, like for example, we talk about stewardship, you don't like the way the environment is going, if you don't like the way something is, is, is happening, you have a responsibility to stand up, to say something and to try to change the situation. What does that mean? If you do not like the way, um, if you do not like, like the world being polluted, you have a responsibility to, to start the process of cleaning up. You, you cannot clean, you cannot clean up the world by yourself, but cleaning up your your immediate surroundings can be transferred over to local, which is a personal. Then from there, you get with groups of other like-minded people, start cleaning up your your local area. That's your local connection, and from there, you start connecting with, with larger organizations. And you take it full scale, and now you're doing something on a global scale. So being the change starts starts with you. What what do you dislike? What do you want to see happen? Try to make it happen. Find like-minded people. Try to get it done. Do the best you can. Work within your parameters. Try to expand. And then from there, you'll be surprised that, oh, you'll find out that this is the same thing that's happening in other communities. And then it becomes a global initiative. So it really starts with looking inward at what can I do to change the situation that I am unhappy with, be it with me personally, with the environment or whatever situation you are unhappy with. So it's more, it's it's introspective of course, but I like to connect it. When I talk to students about that, be the change, it deals with them personally at first, but then when we talk about looking at in in stewardship or things of conservation, like what can we do in, in our immediate area? Can we connect with other schools? Is this something that's happening around the world? So it's not just you; it's more than one person having the same problem. So, for depends on which level we're talking. If it's talking to individual students, it's individual. If it's talking about some kind of issue we want to address as a student, a student issue, we start locally. We try to connect with other schools, other like-minded people in the community, and from there we see does this connect or branch off to other organizations or to other places that we can connect with, and we can kind of. Help them along the way. So we try to, I try to empower them to think think beyond just themselves. But change always starts with you.
0: So if I was if I was talking to a bunch of our colleagues right now, um, mm-hmm. uh, there'd be a, a whole number of them who would say, "Look, that sounds great, but it's just too hard. It's too hard. The system won't let me do it." So let's say, for example, that we want to get kids out of a classroom. Yep. and into the community to do something of this nature and it could be to help people it could be to help the environment it could be mm-hmm. any number of different things um well there's the risk assessment first isn't there of course. and the of course. permission and then you have to get the bus organized and then you have to get the permission slips and then you have to get this and this and this and this somebody. Probably he looks fairly similar to me in the days when I used to do this sort of thing, um, <laughs> saying, "Oh, it's you know, it's going to be too hard to do this." Like it's like mm-hmm. you really have to work hard to make mm-hmm. learning go beyond four walls and to get it out into yeah. the community. How do we encourage uh, mm-hmm. education to get outside of a classroom yeah. and into a community?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I, it, it, it sounds difficult. When we talk about logistics, of course, logistics. But sometimes logistics can be simple as, you know, you start small and then you try, then you then you go, you build upon that. Many people they want to start grandiose. They want to start really large. We're gonna take every student in this classroom, we're gonna make it happen. Sometimes it could be okay, like I would tell my students this weekend, I'm gonna to go to the beach and we're probably gonna do a cleanup on the beach. If you want, if you like to come, have your parents bring you. And then they start seeing that I'm doing it. This is part of something that I'm doing or we're going to go to the so it becomes more organic because I'm not forcing it in the classroom because sometimes you have to do do things that that don't that aren't necessarily school driven but I always invite parents invite so 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 it's not just me and the students it becomes a family event so that let's say for example if I said I'm not going to do this next weekend the family could do it that family could do it um so that's one way you could do it a second one is if you are if you are determined to kind of keep it in the school, then there are initiatives I know in different areas where they want they want students to um, to get out. Um, but you have to just be very crafty in how you word it, because you have to, of course, meet the curriculum guidelines. Of course, I want you to get the curriculum guidelines. But there are curriculum. Gui- there are standards or benchmarks in our curriculum which address things like helping other p- humanity, helping helping people in the in his, in his social studies classes, you know, civics, you know, being a good citizen. That you could do a, a project where we're going to go out today and we're going to look do this thing based upon, and based upon students going out to address how are we helping the community. And that can be a, 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 a lesson that you're doing based upon a real world situation. One of the buzzwords we try to incorporate um, into our teaching also, what they can think about is problem-based learning. You could give the students, which I've done before in the past, you give the kids a, a problem. OK, so one of the issue you have is, OK, there's in this community, there's lots of noise pollution. So what could you do to address noise pollution in this area? And then the kids put together a problem based solution and they can do that without you being there. They go and they put together a, a plan and they can market that plan to, to the civic leaders or to the um so the government, and, that way, and that way, it does not require a bus, does not require any, any, anybody going to sign any forms. It's the kids putting together a plan and then you give them the opportunity or you give them the, the voice to present that to those civic leaders or to those people, um, business owners, whomever. And these are some plans that we have in place that we think that the students think could help the community. That way you allow the, the students to organize it, the students to come up for the problem solving, and the students to put forth the legwork so they have ownership in it. And then, you do, then you've done all your community outreach because now you bring your, you as the facilitator, you, bring, you, bring in the, you can bring the, the organizers to the school, no bus required. And my students are gonna present to you this, this, um, this activity. We've done that as well too at universities as well, um, where we bring university people in to talk about what can the, student, the student's ideas so that I don't require a bus, all I require is to get, is to make t- the people in these offices make time to come to my school and work into my classroom. I may block off a, a section of time so I can have, so I can maximize the student attendance and allow my students, give them the platform to showcase themselves.
0: Yeah, you know, so much of this is goes back to what you were saying in our, you know, in, in part one. Of this series which it's not about us it's, it's about student agency isn't it <laughs> exactly the whole the the, the whole the, the whole name of the game is is about promoting their voice and their agency in the world so that they can then go on and thrive to do that i love what you're talking about earlier in terms of helping students with their self-efficacy too about how to organize themselves um, you yes. know so jordan peterson talks about this sort of stuff too you know make your own bed before you go out and change the world it's, it's probably, a good, it's, pro- it's probably, it's, you know, it's, it's probably a good lesson for all of us. Um, you know, Henry Venn back in 1865, when he founded the Church Missionary Society, you know, he's, he had five principles and principle number two was start everything in a small way, you know, and build yes. there, you know, that's, it's the basis of success. But I think sometimes we get carried away with an idea and, and we get all enthusiastic about it. And then we just need to put the brakes on ourselves just a little bit and say, how do do we scale this? How do we start with a small idea and a bit of a pilot and then Mm -hmm. take it on from there to there to there to there? I want Mm -hmm. to ask you one last question about place, if I can.
1: Okay.
0: And it actually combines people and place. So the first two conversations that we've had, and it's about the notion of belonging. Mm -hmm. So we believe very strongly that for a student to fulfill their potential, they have to feel as though they belong first. True, true. And that if they feel as though they belong and are fulfilling their potential, then they are, have a greater propensity to do that which is good and right in the world. And that's the overlay of the civic, the performance and the moral character in the formation of an education. Let's get really, really practical around this. And in particularly, let's talk about your relationship with students in a classroom and in a space and a place. How do you promote students' sense of belonging?
1: Yeah, that's, I I think mine is very um, unique. Um, I I like to joke with students. I I like to, first of all, I tell the students I'm a very academic, I'm a very academic teacher. I have very high expectations, but I'm the silliest teacher you ever come across because I like to laugh and joke with my students. I encourage them to laugh and joke in class. I encourage them to, I, I tell them, this is your classroom. This is not mine, this is your classroom. So I give them ownership of the classroom where they feel like, this is mine, and I give them. a, I try to build a safe space. So the first thing you have to do is build a safe. I don't care how, what your your personality is like. You have to build a safe space. If kids feel that their opinions are valued, they can ask questions. They can they can uh, object to each other within, with the right norms. Then they then then you've already been, you have the right ingredients for kids to be successful because they understand what, the, what is what is what, what what you want from them. So with me. I come in the first day. By the second week of school, I've memorized everyone's name. So, but I only go by last names. So it's like Mr. John, I said Johnston, uh, uh, Brokowski, uh, uh, Ditmar. So I know all their last names. Like, well, my name is Becky. I don't care. Your last name is this. So I set, I kind of throw them off kilter. So it's like okay, you're going to go by last names. So I kind of set a different tone what they're used to. Then once we do that, I I let them know the expectation. I try to build a safe space and I say, okay, you can ask questions, you can, you can be wrong. And then, I, and then I allow them to see me as human. I make a mistake and I admit I make a mistake. And I tell them if I make a mistake, I let me know. And I will let you know that I apologize. That is not my intention. So they feel that, okay, wait, 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 wait. You're, not, you're not chastising me. You're not uh, just putting yourself above me. You're, I said, no, I, the only difference between you and I is I'm the teacher. We're still human in this classroom. We're humans. So I know better than you are, only difference is I'm the one who's over the class, but this is your classroom. And so you build that connection day by day. And then eventually the kids that come in, they, they, they miss you when you're gone. Uh, they wanna laugh and joke with you. They wanna, they, they wanna crack a joke. They wanna smile, they wanna laugh. And so at that point, it's no longer a classroom. It's, well, it's still a classroom, but it's a, more of like a extended family situation. And so when you're not there, like when I when I take off, they're like, why why are you leaving us? Why are you leaving us? I said because I have things I have to do. I have to don't don't go. So I think if you build those safe spaces, start those 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 conversations with kids, so they understand what's expected of them, uh, allow them to be who they are, and then let them see you as human. Then you have all the remedies, all the ingredients of building a great relationship with your students and allowing them to um to to thrive.
0: Yeah, belonging feels like home, doesn't it?
1: It does it's like i tell my students this is your home so they're like we're like family you're like yeah we are we're like family
0: that's it that's it that's it yeah. Michael I, I can't wait to um to explore your practice with you because um there's so there's so many fantastic um uh exemplars that you've raised already in our first two conversations will you come back with me one more time in and 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 talk about the way in which you shape your practice
1: I'd be glad to. Thank, thank you much so
0: for much doing. for this conversation I've learned, I'm learning so much from you man it's, it's an absolute <laughs> privilege um, and I can't wait for the next episode thank you the Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions it's powered by a schoolfortomorrow.com and circle.education it's available on Apple Podcasts on SoundCloud, on Spotify and on Google if you like what you hear Tell your friends, subscribe, like. You know what to do. Let's go.